Second John. And the only chapter. One. Second John. And I'm going to read the entire book. Don't let that scare you. It's only 13 verses. This is a letter. They call it an epistle, which is, means letter, written, I believe, to a church. And we'll look at that in a little bit. But anyway, Second John, verse 1 says, The elder under the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I find of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which he had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. There come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink. But I trust to come unto you, and to speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister... Greet thee. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for the words that you've given to us that do apply to our everyday and life in which we're living that are relevant for our age. And I pray as we look at the word of God today that we would be challenged and encouraged and strengthened and helped and given understanding and wisdom. Uh, concerning things not only from the scriptures, but also things concerning the world. And help us to understand that also. So Lord, just help us, give us understanding and help me as I preach. And give ears to hear. And Lord, if there's any in our midst who, not have, who have not embraced the truth or walking in the truth, let's pray that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts, convict them of their sin, and help them to uh, come to trust in uh, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this little epistle or letter of 13 verses has some very important truth we need to consider in our day when truth falleth in the streets. That's the day we're living in. Truth is falling in the streets. Many are saying, what is truth? Or, is there truth. Are there any absolutes? Is anything objective? You know, and and again, in this inspired letter, we see some things about truth that counters our world and culture. The word truth is used six times in the first four verses. 
The word love is used four times in the first six verses. And so we are challenged to walk in truth. So the title of the message is Walking in the Truth. Walking in the Truth. First of all, I want to identify the elect or those to whom he is writing. In verse 1 it says, The elder under the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Now, the writer does not identify himself, and he does not really identify the recipient of this letter by name. And this was likely because of the great persecution that the Lord's churches were enduring during this time. It was a, a means of protection, you know, not to fall in, if the letter got, fell into the, to the wrong hands or was gone through by government officials or those who transport it, there would not be anybody implicated. Uh, <clears throat> of course, the idea that John is said to be the writer is not really questioned by anyone. Uh, and so we do believe that John did write it. However, he didn't, he didn't identify himself by name. Now, the recipient is not really named either, However, I believe it was a church, not a woman. You know, it would be out of character for any of the Bible writers to write a letter to a woman. And then in, in that letter to say, uh, whom I love, would be kind of inappropriate, wouldn't it? But anyway, uh, it, it, again, but it talks about her, the elect lady and her children. Now, when we think about the word elect, the word elect refers to those chosen, or one chosen, or those chosen, and the elect there, um, you know, it could be, it could be singular or plural. But in Ephesians chapter one, talking uh, to 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 help us understand elect or chosen, those words are used interchangeably in the Bible, even the word called sometimes. But Ephesians one says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us, or you could say elected us, in him before the foundation of the world, that ye should be holy and without blame before him in love. You know, he didn't choose us to salvation. He chose us to be holy. God has chosen his people to be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So he's going to bring to pass the actual adoption of us and the redemption of our body to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So we've been elected or chosen to be holy, uh, chosen out of this world to be separate. You know, a church is a, a, an assembly called out assembly, you might say, uh, in chapter 5, and, uh, or chapter 2, verse 19, actually, of, of, of Ephesians. Notice, again, the wording here. Now, the, therefore ye, that's you saints at Ephesus, you church at Ephesus, are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. The household of God. So it's referred to there as a house. Uh, so when we say the elect lady or children, we could be talking about a house and her and its members. Uh, uh, the uh, you know, and, and the Bible uses this 
comparison of the husband and wife relationship to Christ and his church. And the church is the espoused bride of Christ in First, in first Corinthians. But also in Ephesians 5, says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So, so again, the church is referred to as a, a bride of Christ, or like the wife of Christ, that is to be submitted to its head. First uh, Timothy 3.15 calls the church the house of God, uh, the house of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So, you know, it would be out of context with a pattern of Scripture for John to write under inspiration to a woman, and then to say of whom uh, I, whom I have known and love in the truth. Verses five and six. He says, "Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning that we should love one another. This is love that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it." So. I believe this was written to an unnamed church uh, for security reasons in a time of persecution. Furthermore, verse 13, he sends greeting from the elect sister. You know, almost every letter that a biblical writer writes in the New Testament, all the epistles, the writer always sends greeting from the church from where it's sent. That's come. And so we believe this is a church, not a person. There are no other instances in the Bible where, other than the pastoral epistles, where, and they were identified by name to certain individuals. Again, uh, men. So, so, and the Lord's churches have been elected to glorify Him, who is the way, the truth, and life. We are to walk in the truth. To be holy and without blame. And verse 3, you know, we have received of the grace and mercy of God. And of course, we're saved by grace and, and also enabled by grace and empowered by grace to walk in that truth, in truth and in love. So as we think about this letter, I believe it was a letter written to a church and its members. Now, again, that's in, in keeping with the pattern of Scripture. The second thing I want you to notice is God's churches, chosen churches, are commanded to conduct themselves by the truth. And we see this as verses 4 through 6. He says in verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. That word walking or walk is used here in this passage means to regulate one's life or to conduct oneself. So the truth is by the truth that we are to regulate or conduct our lives. Our life. In other words, the truth is our directive. It is our orders. God didn't give us ten suggestions. God hasn't given us a bunch of suggestions in the New Testament. He's given us orders. And I know our world and our culture hates that terminology, but that's what it is. You see, we're to walk after his commandments. Verse 6 says, this is love. You know, we think love is, 
Oh, I love you, and I love you, and I do good things new. Know what real love is? You walk after his commandments. And this love, this way, is the fruit of walking after his commandments. If this love is not right, this thing is not going to be right. This is going to be corrupted. And so, real love is we walk after his commandments. And that word commandment means an order or a charge. That's what it means. So, we are ordered to walk in the truth. Now, to many, that sounds harsh, dogmatic, and plain spoken. And it is. It is from our Lord. Your lords don't ask servants, would you please do this? Or I think you should do this. No, lords give orders. They just give commandments. They don't make suggestions. And so we are given commandments. And the command is to walk in truth. Now, some would say that is not loving. But verse 6 says, love is that we walk after his commandments. And you know, in John's uh, gospel, what is it, John 16, I think it is, you know, he said, and this is, this is his commandment, that we love one another. And, if, and, and, and he that loveth me keepeth my commandments. And he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. You know, we, we live in a world... And I know we live in a world, we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, and, and um, this helped me with this message, but you know, we live in a world that thinks it has an open mind. They think they have an open mind. But what is meant by their open mind? It means, their open mind is this, it means we are not dogmatic, or have deeply held beliefs that would say this is right and that is wrong. That, that truth is subjective. It's determined by I, how I feel or by how I perceive it. It is to believe that two or more people can hold differing opinions and we are affirming of all of them. After all, how can we say any one of them is wrong for they do not think they are? That's the world's philosophy of an open mind. And they never consider ideas to their conclusions because they are not conclusive. They're not conclusive. You you can go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist and, and they'll tell you what's wrong with you, at least what they think is wrong with you. But there's no conclusion as to how or what the remedy is. You know, the Bible gives conclusions. And that's why the world doesn't like it. Because there are conclusions, there are answers to man's problems. But really, as you think about that, is that an open mind? Or is it one without any beliefs and without any convictions? Is it not a mind that is without any restraints, any disciplines, any standard of truth or conclusion? You know, this philosophy, I believe, is the cause of the chaos confusion in our world today. It has become to many a world without a standard and without a law. And the Proverbs says, where there is no law, the people perish. 
And what is, quote, right or law, unquote, then is determined by the one with the most power. And that's what we're seeing in our world today. That is why there has been a a great disregard for our Constitution, because it is not a living, changing document. And it is counter to our present culture. It's not a living, changing document. It's like the Bible. It does not change. For whoever. See, really, the reality is, an open mind is one who allows the truth to examine every area of their life. And then come to conclusions by the truth. That is really what an open mind is. You know, a closed mind is one who says, oh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. You know the reason why they usually don't want to know? They don't want to do it. The bottom line is they don't want to do it. That's Phariseeism. They didn't want to know. They said they did, but they didn't. Let me give you a few things about truth. You know, truth, first of all, truth is uncompromising. It's black and white. In this letter, it's black and white. If you receive Jesus the Christ, you are born of God. If you do not receive Jesus Christ, you are evil. It's black and white. That is the plain truth. And you will die in your sin and go to hell. Notice it says... In verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Verse 11 says, He that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So to deny that Jesus is the Christ is evil. That's the plain truth. You know, the Bible is plain that's the way the truth is. You know, Jesus said, you, in Matthew, you cannot serve God and mammon, or the God of this world. I mean, it's either black or white. You can't serve both. You can't serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other. You can't do it. Second thing about truth, and, not, and these are not exhaustive, but truth is not discriminatory. In other words, it has no favorites. It has no favorites. You know, Jesus said anyone that would try to come up another way or receive eternal life another way other than him was a thief or a robber. John 10. John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man. There, there's no, no, one, no one, I don't care who you are, who you think you are, how much money you have, how much power you have, how high you are in society, I don't care. You cannot come any other way. There's only one. God's not going to let you, He's not going to favor you over anyone else. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And again here in verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in doth Christ hath not God. He that abideth in Doc Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. There's no discrimination here. 
There's no favorites. You know, Colossians, I think it's chapter 3, verse, in the last, I think it's verse 25, says there's no respect of persons with God. It doesn't matter who you are, who your name is, what your name is, or who you think you are. Truth. It's not discriminatory. Thirdly, and this can, is really hard for people to swallow, but the truth is not concerned with your feelings or how you perceive it. It's not. Now, we ought to consider how things are perceived to think about people's thinking processes so, so that we can better deliver the truth or maybe explain it in a different way, but we are not to change the truth because feelings of somebody's feelings or how they perceive it. Yeah, the rich young ruler was offended by the truth. But Jesus didn't go running after him or water it down or make it easier. Oh, you, oh, you don't have to repent of your covetousness. Just, just follow me. No. At one point, the disciples came to him and said, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended at you? He said, so what if? They would see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. What then? See, truth isn't concerned with your feelings. It is the truth. It isn't going to change. Truth, fourthly, is not concerned with the reactions that may come. Look at, I want to look at two examples here. Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3. <clears throat> and verses 1 through 6. And he entered again into the synagogue. And there was a man which, there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. He knew. He knew what they would do, or what they intended to do. Didn't matter. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Truth is the truth. Luke chapter 4. And verse 16. Came to Nazareth, who had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the Sabbath, on the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and stood up for to read. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to the preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. 
And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Provision, heal thyself. Whatsoever have you heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias, the prophet. None of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of the hill, whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he passed and through the midst of them went his way. You see, he said, look, you know, you're just like your forefathers. In the days of, of Elisha, Elisha wasn't sent to a woman of Israel to feed him with a one portion of meal and one portion of oil for many days, except a widow in Sidon, a Gentile dog who had enough faith in God to believe that he would provide for them through that time of faith. But there was nobody in Israel like that. That's why Elijah wasn't sent, Elijah wasn't sent there. In other words, you don't have the faith that the Gentiles have. That's what he's saying. And none, there were many Israelite um, uh, lepers in Israel during Elisha's reign, but none of them had the faith to go to Elisha and ask him to pray, or well, what can I do to be healed, except the Syrian. Come on, Israel, it's time to wake up. That's what he's saying. Put your faith where your mouth is. You say you believe in God. How about showing it? You know what? Instead of repenting, they got angry. You know, it is true that God is love. But these are not grand suggestions. They are orders. They are commands. And notice the third thing. We are commanded to appropriate his orders in reality. Now, I notice several things here from verses 7 through 11. First of all, we are to obey the gospel for real saving faith or real salvation. We're to obey it. Look at verses 7 through 9. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father <coughs> excuse me, and the Son. So we're to obey the gospel, and the Bible commands us to receive Jesus the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed of God sent to be the Savior of the world. He's the only Savior. He's, a, he's, a, he's the only begotten Son. He is the Son of God. We, for saving faith, we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Of course, what's happening, you know, the context of, of historical context is there that the uh, Gnostics were teaching that Jesus was not God. 
Just like Jehovah's Witnesses today. Jesus is not God. He's not equal with God. You know, and they may, some of them may say that some, at some point he became, but he was not that until he was baptized or sometime later. No, he is the eternal Son of God. And we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal Son of God, for true salvation. We have to obey that. You know, the gospel is a command. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8 says this, To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you will not obey the command that God has given, then the command is that you repent of your sin and turn to God salvation. In Acts 17, when Paul's at, at, at Athens and he's standing for all those religious and superstitious people, he said, God hath commanded all men everywhere to repent. And we see here, he's talking about when the Lord, Jesus Christ, and it pictures him as a Lord, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and will not obey. They will not repent. They will not believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the only Savior from sin. They will not put their trust in him. They will not submit themselves to him. You know, we have to obey the gospel that is according to the scriptures. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the gospel. But one of the things that, that is very important we understand is, it says, he says twice in this passage, according to the scriptures, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that, Christ, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. In other words, you need to believe what is written about him. And what is written about him is that he is the eternal Son of God. He is the Lord of all. So, you know, many believe in vain. Why? Because they don't have a clear understanding of the gospel according to the scriptures. They don't understand what the scriptures teach about God, the way to God. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? You know, that's one of the questions that Jesus asked the Pharisees. Who is he? This, we have to understand what the Scriptures teach about God. We have to also understand what the, the Scriptures teach about who, I'm, who I am. Who we are. What am I in the sight of God? What am I in the sight of God? Repent? Me? Yeah. You're a wicked, you and I are wicked and vile. Sinners in the sight of God, a holy God. 
who God loves and sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for. And if we will not obey the Lord's command for salvation, we will die in our sin and go to hell. And our Lord is not going to change the truth to suit us. It's not going to change. Truth is truth. So, we have to appropriate His orders. We have to obey the gospel for real saving faith. Second thing we see here in this passage is we are not to receive into membership those who reject Christ. We are not. Verses 8 through 11. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there came any unto you, and bring, bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. So this is a command of our loving Lord. You know, we're to walk in love, we're to walk in His commandments, and we're commanded that in verses 6 through 8. And His commandment is, look, you don't receive anybody who does not receive Jesus the Christ into your house. Now again, this is why I believe this is written to a church. It's not talking about your home. Again, that's not in agreement with the rest of Scripture either. Or you wouldn't allow any unsaved person in your house if you're going to be consistent with that idea. Any unsaved person. That'd be most of the world. The majority of people in the world. We know that's not what the Bible teaches. But we do know the Bible teaches we're not to receive unsaved people into membership of his church. And that's what's being taught here. This is a command. This is the, this is the command of our loving Lord if we're going to walk after his commandments. If we violate his command, it's unfaithfulness on our part and will constitute a loss of reward for us. Notice verse 8. Look to yourselves that you lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Again, if we, if we violate this command and receive those into membership that are unsaved, it is putting people before the truth. Or maybe you could say it this way putting others before the one who is the truth. And that is idolatry. That's unfaithfulness. Paul wrote Timothy, a pastor, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, and he commanded him, look, you need to purge out or you need to separate from those, cleanse out those who teach false doctrine. Notice he says, study this, show thyself approved unto God, 2 Timothy 2.15. A workman that need not to be ashamed, right dividing the word of truth, but shun and profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection has passed already and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, 
The Lord knoweth them that are his, and that everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, some will use that verse to say, see, the Lord knows are his, those who are his, so it's not our responsibility to, 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 to deal with anybody that's unsaved in the church. No, that's not what that's teaching. Anyway, he goes on. In a great house there are not only vessels of gold, no silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, you need to cleanse out. He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You need to cleanse out. If you're unwilling to purge out or separate from those that dishonor the Lord, you're not a vessel unto honor. We're the Lord's vessels. Third thing we see here concerning receiving, not receiving into membership, it is, and understand this, it is loving people in an attempt to make them face reality when you point out their lost state. You are doing people no favors by encouraging them in their sin against God. Notice verses 10 and 11. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. In other words, we are not to endorse in any way the rejection of truth. When one rejects truth, we're not to say, oh, it's okay, it's okay. You know, you're still one of us, it's okay. No, it's not okay. We're bidding him God's speed. We're not to be, he says, you know, if we bid them God's speed, we're partaker of his evil deeds. That means to rejoice or be joyful or to be glad. Should we be glad when a person is lost and going to hell? Should we be glad for them? Rejoice with them in that? And yet many today think this is unloving. No, what it does is makes people face reality. What the world really needs is a reality check. They live in a world that's not real. They think there are no consequences. Which, all by the way, all that goes back to the home and when they're wee little and they don't learn there are consequences to the little rebellious acts. There's consequences. One commentator said this, We see how such false teachers were treated in the apostolic church. They held no communion with them, afforded them no support. As teachers, they did not persecute them. We don't not to persecute anybody. We're not to force by the sword or persecution the truth, but we are to declare the truth. We are to challenge people with the truth. Then fourthly, to accept such would make us participants in their sin. Notice verse 11. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. One, one man said this, quote, We are defined by what we reject as much by what we accept. 
In this, some are so open-minded that they are empty-headed. It is wise to keep an open mind on many things, but one would never keep an open mind about which poisons a person might try. You may say yes to all the right things, but one must also say no to what is false and evil. We need to become good at rejecting what should be rejected. Unquote. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker with other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. You see, we're not to participate. If we bid them Godspeed, or rejoice with them, or encourage them in any way in their sin, we are partakers of their evil deeds. You see, we, we are commanded to walk in truth. And He, our Lord, is truth. You know, in John eighteen thirty eight, Pontius Pilate asked, What is truth? What is truth? But he never waited for an answer. He was never given an answer. He never waited for him. He just simply asked, what is truth? And he went out to the Pharisees. In other words, he never came to conclusion or acted on what truth was. Even though he was standing face to face with the truth and asking the truth, what is truth? It did him no value. Because he did not obey it. You may be acquainted with the truth, have knowledge of the truth, but have you acted on it? Have you acted on it? See, God commands us, if we are his children, we are to walk in the truth. 